Yeah, so I, it was about four years ago. I was sitting out on the beach where I lived. Uh, before I lived up here in Manoa, I lived out on the beach out on the west side of Oahu. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee. My son's playing in the water. My wife's back in the house uh, with my other boy. And uh, well, one of my other boys, the other one's growing out. And I'm listening to a podcast. And well, even though I'm listening to the podcast, um, I'm listening to this guy's story. And then it rings into my head, this conversation that my wife would always have with me over the years. What the hell are you chasing? <laughs> I was always after that six and seven figure income. And I would go to, I'd be at work, come home, put on a suit, go sell Amway. Come home, go sell USANA Health Sciences. Come home, go try to start some other business, uh, uh, satellite business. Go start some other business, start some other thing. Always trying to get into where I'm, you know, having this life of freedom and, and all this stuff. And then I look around and it all came, it, it was like, a, it just all came in. And I was like, you know what? I have a six figure, I made it six figure income at that point and nothing had changed in my mind. I was still chasing it. But oh, by the way, I'm not out in the water playing with my kid. I was sitting on the gazebo listening to a podcast to learn how to make more money and to learn how to be successful and to learn how to make it. And I'm using air quotes for those of you who aren't on video. And then my son's out there and he's like, dad, dad, come and play, come and play. And I'm like, no, let me, you know, do this. Let me, I'm listening. I just, I, stood, I shut it off. I just put it down, put it on the table, went out and played with the kid, went back to the house. Um, I can get emotional about this. It was, it was a very uh, real event. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. So welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm glad you're joining me today. In this episode, uh, I talk with a guy who's living a life of abundance in Hawaii with his consulting business and his podcast. This guy is awesome. He's also a writer, so this guy's definitely a storyteller. And I had an absolutely amazing time with him uh, on this show, and I hope you enjoy listening to the host of Men of Abundance, Wally Carmichael, as he shares his story with you. Now, before we get into today's conversation, just a reminder to visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for more resources, how to contact us, and for past episodes as well, all hopefully to help you tell your story more effectively. And if you like what we're doing here, please consider leaving us a review. It does help us reach new storytellers and consider sharing us all over the place. Now, let's get to the stories. Thanks so much for joining me, Wally Carmichael, man. I'm happy to have you on board. As you say, man, aloha. Welcome to the show. Aloha. It's my pleasure, brother. Listen, man, seriously, I do not take it lightly to be on anybody's show and have the honor to talk to their audience, but to be on your show and to be on The Storytellers, blown away, brother. I was was absolutely excited when you sent me the message and invited me on, and it's just an honor to be here, man. I appreciate that. Um, 
Yeah, I've been listening to, to your show, as I mentioned in the intro, Men of Abundance, uh, for a while. I was, I was blessed to be on your show as a guest, but then just listening is so much fun. And I love the stories that you tell. So I got to believe you consider yourself a storyteller, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. Um, I was listening earlier to one of your shows with, um, with who was that? Uh, Kevin Miller. Mm. And I, I kind of... I kind of think I was a bad storyteller for a very, very long time. I was that guy that would sit and just elaborate on every little thing. But what I've learned through podcasting, I think, and through some other stuff is there's a time and a place to tell your story. And then, of course, how to tell your story makes a big difference on who you're telling your story to and why. Mm -hmm. So I guess I could be a storyteller. But really, with my podcast, I'm more of a, a share stories. And I allow, I allow a platform for others to share their stories. And many of them are very good stories and very good storytellers. And then on the marketing side of what I do, uh, I help businesses, I help business owners tell their story in a particular way, depending on where they're telling their story at. So mm -hmm. it's a skill from top to bottom and it's really an art. I love it. Well, what I've learned so far over 20 some shows is that like, as much as I consider myself a storyteller, I love the idea that not only are we storytellers, but we're story curators, right? We mm -hmm. help others tell their stories. I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true even when you're having general conversation. You know, you think of people like, you know, I'm not going to get into the political side of anything, but look at somebody like President Reagan, who was known as a great communicator, but he asked questions. Mm -hmm. He was interested in the people. Same thing as, uh, as Bill Clinton. When mm -hmm. he came into a room, he made people feel amazing. And it was because he helped people tell their story uh, through the way he communicated. And I think, man, that's just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like to, to kind of start off, and we've already started, but we'll, we'll restart, I guess. No, we, I like to start off by uh, talking about location because I think that, you know, in some businesses and some walks of life, you have to be in certain places. But as storytellers, and particularly this season, podcasters, and you can be anywhere. So let's share uh, with the Storytellers Network where you are geographically. I am in Manoa Valley of uh, the island of Oahu in Hawaii. I'm like 15 minute drive down the hill and I'm in Waikiki. Uh, it's completely different up here than what most people think of Hawaii. It's, I mean, it rains pretty much every day, at least a sprinkle, the parrots are up here. I get rudely wakened every morning by the birds and the sun gently coming up and shining through my curtains. It's just a terrible place to be. <laughs> Sounds like it. How did, so how did you end up in Hawaii then? I mean, is it, like, was that where you went professionally? You just ended up there and you're like, hey, I can do this stuff anywhere? Yeah, well, I was in the Army for 25 years. And I had the pleasure of being stationed here many years ago, 2005, 6, 7. And then relocated, got uh, what we call PCS, to permanent change of station, to Texas for three years. And then I didn't like that particular location. So I called my branch manager and asked to relocate again. Fortunately enough, there was, uh, this was on the list for places for me to come. So I came back in 2011, and we retired here uh, after 25 years of service. We retired here three years ago, almost to this month, and we just decided to stay here. Ironically, now as we speak, um, I am doing split ops. We are in the, I live currently between Tampa, Florida, and here. My family is in Tampa. I'm still here uh, finishing up some stuff with my day job, which is at an Army Medical Center. And, um, you know, we'll be getting out of here pretty soon. Uh, but while I'm here, I'm still able to 
continue my storytelling with the podcast and uh, getting other people's messages out there to the world. Well, and you can take it with you to over in your, over in Tampa too. So, right. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. Well, here's the interesting thing about that. We talk about location, not as much anymore, but when I first got started about 85, 90% of all the conversations I was having were out of the cab of my Toyota Tacoma pickup truck, usually sitting in a parking lot overlooking the ocean. And I just had my laptop on my lap and I had my microphone plugged in. I was streaming off of my phone so that I could get on Skype and have the conversation. And most of the conversations are done right there out of the cab of my 2011 Toyota Tacoma. That's awesome. Few love, people know that. I love it, man. And now, and of course, now you're you're in your your home there, and uh, and mm. I'm in I'm in my home office, which is awesome. So, but yeah, I mean, I've done them from my van before. I, I interviewed uh, Danny Pena uh, in season two, and and I was in my van because that's just where I had to be at the moment. So mm-hmm. I, lo- I love that mobile side of it. Yeah. Um, and and writing too. I mean, I, I'm I'm a writer besides a podcaster, and I love to be able to write wherever I am in a in a park if it's nice out in a in a library in a coffee shop at home. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, storytellers can be anywhere. So let's get back to this. Um, I want to know, you said you were a bad storyteller and now, but now you help <laughs> others do that um, professionally. Where does that start for you? Do you think, I mean, have you always been a teller of stories in some way and you just figured out how to do it professionally? You know, um, the way I started this whole podcast, uh, the way it got started was I was in the process of writing a book and about living a life of abundance, living your life of abundance. And I realized I was injecting all of my stories into it. And it was just getting really long because I have a million stories. And then I just thought, you know what? I don't want it to be all about me. I don't want it to be an autobiography. I want, I know there's other men out there, other people living this amazing life of abundance and paying it forward to the community and in some cases the world. So I got the idea from um, Ryan Daniel Moran, who started a conference so that he could talk to people in person like Grant Cardone and many others. I thought, well, shoot, I was already listening to podcasts. One of the podcasts I was listening to was uh, Entrepreneur on Fire with John Lee Dumas. And he was saying, you can start a podcast and you can start, grow and monetize a podcast. And I was like, start and grow. I don't know about monetize, but that will be my platform to give people a reason to talk to me and share their story with me and share their message with me. That was the intent of starting this whole podcast and starting the storytelling was because I wanted to gather these stories from, for the book and to share these stories. And then as it kind of rolled into it, it just, I just became better and better and better as we do with anything else, right? As you do things more and more, you just naturally become better, especially when you're hanging around guys, men and women, I mostly talk to guys, but I talk to ladies as well that are just amazing storytellers but you know what really makes their story so amazing is it's their story it's truly their message and they're very passionate about getting their message out there and some of them are better storytellers if you know than others but they have when they have their heart in it it just comes off very very authentic as it should yeah absolutely and after almost uh, about 200 shows by the time this airs you'll have over 200 shows uh, out mm-hmm. there uh, any biggest lesson from listening to all those storytellers and talking to them? Just that, exactly what you said. Just yeah. listen. Because when I first started, I still do all my own editing. And when I first started doing the editing, I would have, I would just be cutting my own, myself out. I was cutting myself out because I was injecting my, 
my um, conversation myself into their story. And I like to have a dialogue. I like to talk. I always say I'm kind of a mix between John Lee Dumas with the structure, but Lewis Howes with the podcast because he just lets it go. Mm. And some of his shows can go two, three hours. Mm. Um, but I like to have that conversation. But I noticed I was really kind of cutting out a lot of what I was doing, a lot of um and, and you know, just things that I just really didn't want to take away from the message of the guest, right? But now... I look and I can almost basically just take the clip, the whole clip and just put it on there and then put the intro and the outro and I'm done mm. because I really don't have to do as much editing as I did before. And what is it that you love most about, about the storytelling world? You know, as we're talking here, we're talking about curating stories mm -hmm. and listening, but you also tell them and whether it's writing or podcasting, is there anything in particular about stories that moves you the most? The, the authenticity of it, um, mm. I love, I'm a sucker for good news stories. Uh, I ask every single guest on my show to share their kick in the gut moment. And that kick in the gut moment is there for a couple of reasons. One, because let's face it, the audience likes to hear those moments when people are down. You know, um, you see a lot of stuff uh, on, on Facebook lately with these stories about, say, um, I don't know, some uh, let's say they had one about Sylvester Stallone, for instance, talked about where he came from. Everybody thinks, well, he's Sylvester Stallone. He's the most, you know, badass in the world and all this stuff. And just always been good at movies and directing and all this stuff. And people still don't think he's a good actor. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is he came from a very, very harsh upbringing. So I like that show, that kick in the gut moment, get people to kind of feel that and then roll right into the enough is enough and the good news story behind it. And then if it's somebody that is helping other people and that's part of what they do, their, their purpose in life. Um, I love for them to share those good news stories mm -hmm. to kind of still bring that up. I just love that roller coaster of emotions when people can take you through that story and uh, from the, from the lowest of the lows and coming back from that. I just absolutely love them. I'm a sucker for it. Oh yeah. So you've asked that question, you know, around 200 times. Uh, let's turn the tables on you then brother. Uh, what's, what's Wally Carmichael's kick in the gut moment? Wow. So on a professional level, um, I don't know. I, I got to say a kick in the gut moment was honestly when I retired from the military mm. um, and I thought I'm a retired master sergeant. I've got all this experience. I'm going to um, be able to land any job that I want, you know, basically that, that fits my wheelhouse. Uh, wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a rude awakening and, and it's true for a lot of us. And um, it took about four months before I found something that really stuck. And I found something that I absolutely love. That's the reason why I'm still here in Hawaii because I absolutely love what I do still working around troops and stuff. But it was a kick in the gut moment to um, realize that, Hey, I'm just, it's not that I'm nobody, but I'm who I am in this world, who I was in this world over here. Uh, 25 years in the service, nobody over here in the civilian world, you know, cares anything about that. They want to know what value you bring to the marketplace. And I had to prove myself again. So that was a bit of a kick in the gut moment. Absolutely. Well, and, and thank you. Uh, I didn't say this earlier when you mentioned your service. Thank you for your service. I uh, really appreciate that. And, and being a, an army, you were an army medic, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And so I you're serving that. those who serve. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, do you find a lot of stories get told in the military then I would guess? Oh yeah. We, we are perpetual storytellers. We, we're telling the stories about the big fish and you know, all that. I mean, we just, that's what we do. We talk, we say, you know, we're going to get around like I was, I was with actually with a high school friend of mine last night, we were getting in some pretty deep conversation, but um, 
you know, some of us will get around and we say we just standing around town a bunch of lies because uh, we never really know what's, what's really going on. But we get it because we understand each other. Uh, it's different when we get somebody from that's not military and they come in and they start talking story. Um, like we, that's what we call out here in Hawaii, by the way, is when mm-hmm. we're talking we're conversation, we're talking story. And um, <laughs> we can always tell somebody who's never really been in the military, but trying to act like they've been in the military or at least associated with the military, their lingo, they're, they don't under, they just don't have the right language. And we know right away, dude, don't even, <laughs> you know, so, and that's true in any, any industry. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that, uh, that, con- that connection, that story connection, whether it's, you know, talking story in general, or whether it's telling a specific story, is that what connects us in those times of, of anything that we're going through? I mean, because what I'm thinking is, you know, in the military, you're, you're in the army, and, and whether you're overseas somewhere, whether you're here at home helping troops that, have, that need help, there's, mm-hmm. there's those, that roller coaster you talked about mm-hmm. earlier, Wally, that up and down, right? Yeah. Is story what connects us to? Like it, I mean, it takes two lives completely unrelated, but they have military in common. Is that what connects us? I would say yes and no. And the reason why I say that is because if you're talking story to somebody who's in your industry, let's say the military, for instance, or let's say attorneys or engineers, you, are, you automatically have that connection because you understand each other. You understand the language. So it's easier to connect with somebody. But if I'm military and I'm standing up in front of a, a group of businessmen, corporate level, that's never been associated with the military. Maybe a couple of them have been, either their family or they themselves are in the military for a short period of time or whatever. But let's say a majority of them have never been associated with the military. It's, a, it's much more of a skill to be able to take my leadership examples, if I'm going to be talking on something about leadership, taking that from the military and turning that into a corporate conversation because um, if I continue to use my military lingo or I use my military experience, sure, my stories of what I've done and, and you know, jumping out of airplanes and rappelling out of helicopters and going, that's all exciting and neat to hear. And you can visualize that. But the deep, deep conversations that occur, that's much more of a skill to be able to share with an audience that is not familiar with your, with, with your industry. So I think that's a big skill. And there's a lot of military folks out there that do that. Um, I've had a couple military guys, you know, that's written books, how, you know, Navy SEALs, how to raise your kids and, and all kinds of stuff. So it's definitely, um, it's funny because I talk to these military guys who have done amazing things. I mean, most people would never even think of, but to stand up in front of a group, even though they know their skills, they stand up in front of a, a corporation and try to teach them something on leadership. Uh, that's where their fear comes in. So it's kind of amazing to see that. <laughs> Some of the strongest men out there and they're, and they, they're, the fear comes through no matter what, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the world of podcasting, that's what we're focused on this season. What do you think is a, in the world of podcasting and storytelling combined, what's one of your biggest challenges do you think? Hmm. You know, one of my biggest challenges as far as a podcaster, because I get a lot of people, uh, contacting me. I get more and more people now that I've got more shows out there contacting me and wanting to uh, get on the show. Mm-hmm. And I really have to vet some of these folks and I have to say no. Mm-hmm. At first it was like, yeah, you know, I want people on the show. I want to get this thing going. And I was fortunate to have some really good guests from the very beginning. Uh, one being Tom Schwab, another being Aaron Walker. Mm-hmm. That got me into getting me connected with Interview Valet, got me connected with you. 
because interview valet sends me quality all the time, every time. But a lot of folks that connect with me, I can tell that they really just want to pitch their product. They want to pitch their program or whatever. And they don't really have a message. And sometimes they have a message, but it just won't resonate with, with the audience, men of abundance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at first it was hard for me to say, you know, I don't think you're a fit. Um, and, uh, and here's why. And, and oh, by the way, here's a show you might be able to get on. That's the where I've kind of rolled into. It's like, look, not a fit. Appreciate it. Um, thanks for being a, a listener. Um, but here's a show you might be able to connect with. And if I know the, if I know the host or I know somebody in, in, on that team, I'll connect them. Mm. Uh, but I always caveat when I make a connection with somebody, I'll say, look, I don't really know this guy. He connected me. I looked at him. Not fit for my show, maybe a fit for your show. I'm not endorsing it unless I am endorsing them. That's you know somebody I know. <laughs> yeah, and and so how, how how did you how did you reconcile that in your mind and get to that point where you were able to say no? Because that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. Um, one thing that helped me quite frankly was a book that I just recommended to a friend last night. No, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Mm. Uh, and I just had to realize that. Um, it's, it's not, I'm not just saying no for myself because I don't feel like having this conversation with the individual. I don't want to share that. I don't want to have that conversation, go through my time, usually about an hour or so with the conversation and then end up posting that. And it's not, it just doesn't resonate with the audience. It's just not the right message. So I just, I don't have a problem with it anymore. I just say, no, yeah. it's just not a fit. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you're, you're just gotta be okay with that, I guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I found that too already. And it's funny because <laughs> I, you know, I don't pretend to be anybody special. I mean, I, I do what I do in the world and I hope I make an impact, but you know, I've had a couple, couple of people at reach out to like that and say, okay, I'd like to be on your show. I'm like, well, it's not a good fit. Sorry. And I'm okay <laughs> with it. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say now though. Well, the other thing is, is I I've had a, this happened a couple of times, but one in particular, I just remember it was, it was perfect. The guy on paper really looked like he was a perfect fit for the show and I really wanted to have a conversation with him. But the day we were supposed to connect, um, I sent him a Skype message and what I usually do is I shut off all my notifications before I get on uh, so that Facebook's not popping in Twitter and all this other kind of stuff. So I figured exactly the situation, but my outline, the way I do business is it's, I've had guys tell me, I love the way you have your, your whole thing set up from the scheduler. The scheduler sends a reminder, has the show flow, has where I put my bio, my picture, all that stuff. It's all done. So when I open up my scheduler, it's all there. Your Skype ID. Well, for whatever reason, me and this guy couldn't get connected. And he was a referral from someone, another, a past guest who was an amazing guest. Well, this guy lost his freaking mind. I mean, he really lost his mind. He was so pissed off about the whole situation. And I said, you know what, that's perfect. Because this guy has a scarcity mindset. He obviously is not on the same wavelength as I am. And not everybody will be. I got that. But uh, he just ended up, as it turned out, would not have been a good fit for the show at mm-hmm. all. So I was glad to that, that that happened. So I want to get to that scarcity mindset idea you just mentioned. It kind of brings up, obviously, your 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 podcast, your coaching, everything about you is men of abundance. It's mm-hmm. that abundance mindset. What does that mean to you? Scarcity versus abundance. What does that look like in everyday life? Yeah. So everyday life, let's say for instance, with entrepreneurs, you know, you got this great idea that you want to launch or you want, you have this great idea for a product or a course or whatever the case may be, or eight, or maybe even as a 
on a personal level, hey, um, you know, I want to buy the want to buy a new house. I'm in the market for a new house or something like that. Or you want to do something big in your life. A scarcity mindset and people with a scarcity mindset won't share that with other people. They'll keep that to themselves. Why? Because they believe if I share this with somebody else, they're going to steal it. They're going to take my idea or they're going to wish ill upon me because I'm, I'm somewhat successful now and I can afford a new car. And so I'm not going to tell anybody about that uh, until it's done and they'll figure it out later type of thing. There's some honor in that. And there's, there's some argument on why to not tell everybody about that. And I wouldn't say blast it out on Facebook and blast it out on the world, but there, you should have a group of people men or women, whatever your mastermind group is or whatever, a group of people, family members that you like, know, and trust that you can share stuff like that with. On the opposite of that, an abundance mindset is, you know, I've got this amazing idea. Um, I've heard people actually, one of my guests actually, and I'm not going to remember his name right now, he, um, he wanted to write a book. So he put it on Facebook and said, I'm going to write this book. I've wanted to write this book forever. I'm going to have it done by this date. And for everybody who puts a, a, a comment on this post right here that says, you know, some sort of encouragement, if I don't have the book done by this date, I'm going to give each and every one of you $100. It got up to where it was like going to be like $5,000 if he didn't get this book done. But he was doing that because he wanted that encouragement and he had an abundance mindset and he knew that the people in his circle were going to encourage him. Now, he said a lot of people were re replying and saying, hey, keep the money. I just want to reply so that you know there's one more $100 bill you got to give away if you don't, you know, do this. And then when you get, if you give me the money, I'm going to donate it. I don't need the money. I just want to make sure I'm doing my part to push you along. So the abundance mindset, once I realized that I have this life of abundance and, and changed my life from a, never really had a super scarcity mindset, but kind of opening my mind up so much more started coming into my life. Um, as a as opposed to kind of keeping stuff to myself entirely but i still don't push stuff out there that i have personal things i don't talk about but i have mastermind groups that i'm a part of hmm. that i you know just open up to and these guys are just amazing in at least just listening that's all i want sometimes but other times i need some advice so hmm. in your if you have a scarcity mindset you're just closing off so much from your life as opposed to having an, um, a mindset of abundance and just, you know, sharing stuff with the world and expecting so much more to come back um, tenfold. And do you think that mastermind world has impacted the success of your storytelling? Would you give that as advice to somebody? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know of anybody personally that is, you know, super uh, successful in any means of their life. Uh, that isn't a part of some sort of, whether you call it a mastermind group, a men's church group, uh, you know, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about a group of guys that you sit around and watch the game with and drink beer and smoke cigars with. <laughs> That's all you talk about is the game, how good the cigar is and how good the beer is. I'm talking about guys that you can have deep, serious conversations with, get pissed at each other, sometimes cry for each other um, and, and truly feel our emotions, get our emotions and get the stuff out on, you know, talk about something my wife did this week that I just don't understand. You know, I've been married 25 years. So a lot of guys are always throwing stuff at me in regards to that. Like I got it all figured out and I don't, but, um, but, I have place, but, but I have the curse of knowledge and I know where I can help a little bit here and there, but it's absolutely critical to have it be a part of at least one mastermind group. I'm a member of, member of three. 
And do you stick with those guys for a while so you get to know, like, and trust them? Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't, like, bounce, like, every year I have a new group that I change. No, usually I stick with, uh, there's one group that I've been with for quite a while, but I do start with other groups just because I want to um, get a different perspective. I'm part of a dad's group. I'm part of a group of, uh, of, uh, well, there's, it's not really, I wouldn't say, it is a mastermind, but it's a podcast group um, with a um, podcast uh, websites. And we, we communicate a lot in there, um, just talking about our challenges with our guests or equipment or whatever the case may be. And we always mm-hmm. help each other out. Um, but the dad's group is really, really powerful for me. And then uh, just another business group that I have that, you know, we, it started out as kind of a business group, but it's really more of a, hey, I got my business figured out. How do I get my family life kind of to come along with that or, mm-hmm. you know, fix this part over here because that's most of the guys I end up talking to for my men of abundance uh, community is just that they're, they got the business part figured out, but they don't, the family parts falling apart. Once you get the family part fixed, the business does even better. Mm -hmm. Um, Most guys just think they got to focus on not just business, but their job as well. Mm. So, so what I hear you saying is it's not, you you call it a mastermind and that's what it, it is by nature, but it's, it's more than that. Cause when I hear mastermind, I think of like, like you mentioned Aaron Walker earlier, mm-hmm. great man. He has a mastermind group, iron sharpens iron and right. it, it costs money to get in. They meet every week. They mm-hmm. read a book every month. Like they really challenge each other. It's awesome. But it's more than that. It's other groups. Like I heard you mention the, the, the podcast group. Mm-hmm. So like I'm a member of a couple different podcast group on Facebook. That's, that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. It doesn't have to necessarily be completely structured is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, absolutely correct. Now, the dad's group, we get on a call. Um, there's several calls that we can get on, but I get on a call once a week, uh, and it's a, it's a Zoom call, and there's anywhere from five to 15 or 20 of us on there on the Zoom, and all of our, you know, some of us are walking through the shopping mall because we get on, you know, wherever we're at when we can, um, and we're just having these conversations with each other. Um, basically face-to-face and it's very powerful to be able to do that. Technology is pretty amazing for that, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> and sp- speaking of technology, how do you think that media and technology affects the craft of storytelling? It takes it to a different scale. Uh, I think it certainly enhances it, but I see so many people specifically in the marketing arena where they're marketing, they're trying to tell their story to the wrong people uh, in the wrong way. Uh, how you tell your story on Facebook is different than how you tell your story on Twitter and how you tell your story on Instagram and Pinterest. Um, you have to know those mediums and you have to know the audiences that, that, are, that are there. Again, it's all about talking to your audience and where they're at. Sometimes it's a visual story. Sometimes it's a written story. Sometimes it's video and video, as you know, is now. You know, people keep saying, well, video is the future. No, video has been now for several years. Mm-hmm. If you're not on video, you're missing, you're missing the boat, especially if you're a marketer, you have some sort of a business. So you talk about audience, like which audience is where, how, how did you figure out who your audience was for men of abundance or, or other things that you do? How did you do that research? Google analytics. I mean, really, I just started pushing it out there and the website and started, you know, certain people started sharing it. Everything's word of mouth with with men of abundance. I've done zero. I've paid zero for marketing for men of abundance. It's all word of mouth. And it's in last I checked 63 countries or been downloaded in 63 countries. Hmm. Um, But um, I look at then as I started getting into it, I initially wanted to write out my avatar. Who, Who did I want to talk to? 
And I pretty much had it kind of spot on. I, it was pretty close, actually. The way, when I go back and look at my avatar and I look at the Google Analytics of who's actually visiting the website, because you can't really see that on who's listening to the podcast. I can only really see who's going to the, to the website. And that avatar pretty much, what did surprise me, though, is I was talking to men and 38% of the listeners or the people that visit the website anyway are women mm. consistently. And it's been that way for over a year and a half. And why do you think that is? Why are women coming? That's a good question. Um, initially, I thought it was because they were looking for an abundance of men when they were searching on, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> when they were searching on Google. But, um, but no, they're sticking around, you know, and I'm getting good feedback from the ladies too. The ladies really like listening. It's just the same reason why I like to listen to some women's shows too, because I try to, you know, I think it's easier to figure out men than it is women. But then again, I'm a man. So, but I, I listen to the ladies shows as well to get a different perspective. And I have women guests on the show because let's face it, you know, we don't have it all figured out and we have a lot to learn from women. So um, I just think, I think it's great to get that perspective. I'm honored. I've actually had one lady contact me, a spouse, and she's asked me if I coached uh, men in living a life of abundance or uh, anything of that nature. And that I would, she wanted me to coach her husband because mm. they were living well, but he was always at work. He was focused on his business and he wasn't focused on her or the kids and the, where she wanted, you know, and I, what I did was I told her, I'm very honored, um, have him listen to the show. And oh, by the way, go pick up the book called five love languages mm. and see where you're falling short at possibly and have him read it. You guys read it together. And I think that's a great book for that particular situation. Love that book. Love that whole idea of the love languages. Yeah. I, I use that for my kids, mm -hmm. my wife. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Me and, and my boy are definitely uh, physical. Mm -hmm. uh, my little guy, he loves to sit and cuddle and hold and hug and stuff like that. And my wife and my other two boys, not so much. They're, you know, the different, the other four, one yeah. of the other four. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And, and cool. And, and cool too of you to, Rather than say, here's how I can fix your husband to say to her, hey, look, see where you can make some improvements and then encourage mm -hmm. him, not just yeah. try to nag him. So that's cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like that. Now, do you have, when it comes to storytelling for, for Wally, when you get ready to, to tell a story or you want to, you're talking about writing your book earlier, do you have an inspiration that you go to that gets you juiced up for telling a story? Man, there are so, so many uh, when it comes to that. But when it comes to... Um, I'd have to say when it comes to living, I, I've listened to so many guys over the years and I don't know that any one of them, I guess would have to do with what I'm going to talk about um, or what uh, the story I'm going to tell. But I wish I just had, first off, I wish I had the voice of Mike Rowe because oh, it don't matter what he says. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> and my wife is in love with that dude. I'm going to get him on the show one of these days. But, um, but you know, I want to be able to, here's one of the things I think it was, who was the author that said, you probably know this. Um, he said something to the effect of, I was going to write you, I was going to write you a short letter, but I didn't have time. So I wrote you a long one. Mm. And it was, I think it was, I'm going to think of it in a minute. Some, one of the listeners was saying, I know, I know they're raising their hand because <laughs> it's a very popular author. But um, the point is, is it's harder to tell short stories than it is to tell a long story because mm. you have to really think about the words that you're using and how you're going to communicate. And that's, much of what we do in the podcasting world, because we could sit here for hours and have this long conversation and put, quite frankly, put people to sleep. But it's more like 
adding on to bullet points, you know, making bullet points really flow very well to tell a very good story, especially when we're talking about marketing. Uh, you want to, you want to really grab the attention with, you know, of, of the listener, the reader, the watcher, whatever the medium that we're using, uh, and then tell the short story and then, you know, kind of roll into it and keep them captivated. It's just like sitcoms. You know, you look at sitcoms, they're short little spurts just to keep you long enough to get you to the next commercial, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think to answer your question, some of the greats that I've um, listened to over the years, Brian Tracy, I remember being in Germany and going to the library, post library and picking up cassette tapes of Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of these guys, one of my favorite guys these days is Les Brown. Uh, guy's got the most infectious laugh. It just kills me every time. <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to lay down the gauntlet so you can get Mike Rowe on the show first because he's one of my dreams too. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. Oh, and, and what I heard you say there too, Ollie, is you know, when I said, what's your inspiration? You said so many different places, so many men that I listen to, so many shows, so, so many. So what I hear you saying is that don't just pick one thing, but surround yourself with great storytellers, with great people, with great mm -hmm. resources, and just be steeped in it and the inspiration will come from that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you bring up a very good point. And, and also that uh, I see so many people try to emulate, you know, Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar or uh, any Jim Rohn. A lot of people try to go after. Oh, lately, so many people for many years, not as much lately, but um, Tony Robbins, everybody to want to be Tony Robbins and throw out right. their F-bombs. And, and they want to be, you know, I don't know that um, that. Um, what is his name? I can't think of his name. I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, let's stick with Tony Robbins. You know, yeah, look at the message, but, and get all these different ways of telling the story because there is an art to it, but inject yourself into it. Mm -hmm. Be who you are. Otherwise, it's never going to come off authentic. It's yeah. always going to come off just icky. And, and, it, and it just, it's not going to, you're not going to get your message across like you want to. Uh, so getting your message across like you want to, uh, how, how are we supposed to do that in today's world? Do you think with so much out there, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned almost every social media, you know, Facebook, uh, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, they're all different. If I'm a storyteller today and I have a story to get out there, what are, how, how, what would you advise me on? What, what, what should I do? Well, I would ask you, what kind of story are you trying to tell? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would, I would tell you first, who do you want to talk to? I have to ask those questions because I can't really answer that unless I really know who you want to talk to. What's the purpose of your message? Uh, and then based off of that, we can kind of get an idea of where your audience is at. That's too easy these days to find out where your audience is at. Um, you know, and if we're, if we're talking from a marketing standpoint, from say a business or, you know, rather it's a, a traditional brick and mortar type of business or an online business, uh, you have to, number one, like I said, know who, who your audience is. So in the, in the business terms, we call that niching down, niche down to who you want to talk to, be specific, um, and then grab their attention. And how you grab their attention is going to be different uh, based on if you're using radio, TV, internet, um, Facebook, internet's, you know, widespread, that's broad. So Facebook, like you said, Pinterest, uh, who it is you're talking to. So um, like Pinterest, for instance, and, and Instagram pictures. It's got to be huge, amazing, dynamic, brilliant colors with pictures and not a whole lot of words. Uh, Facebook, 
you got to have a, a video out there in the beginning of the video and maybe a captivating subject line or something like that that's to intro the video. But the video has got to start off like just it's got to grab my attention in the first two and a half seconds uh, bef before I'm even going to click on the darn thing. Uh, and then you got to kind of go into it and then you got to be kind of short. I see so many guys out there that have amazing messages, but they're telling, they're doing their Facebook live videos, for instance. And they're, as soon as I see a Facebook live and I, I know the guy and I want to listen to the message and I click on it and then it's an hour and a half long, <laughs> not going there, man, it's done. Um, I don't, my attention mm -hmm. span is just like everybody else's. I just don't have that much time. Mm. So, so not one answer to get our stories out where you got to start is who, who do you want to reach and where are they? Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then what's your message? And what's the message? I like that. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Facebook lives. Um, I love, I love your Facebook lives. I mean, first of all, they're in Hawaii. So why wouldn't I, <laughs> <laughs> you've always got a great message and you're just, and you're a good dude that I admire. So I, I enjoy, yeah, I, I enjoy getting those notifications for you. What, how often do you do those? Is it just kind of when spur of the moment, do you plan them out? How are you using Facebook live uh, strategically? You know, I really haven't lately. I haven't been doing a whole lot of Facebook live videos and I do truly enjoy doing them. Um, part of the reason why I like doing them on the beach and, and with the water in the background is that if people don't want to hear what I have to say, at the very least, they have something nice to look at. <laughs> Right. So, but other than that, there's no really, there's no real strategy to it. It's just kind of like um, when I feel compelled, something's going on in my life or I notice something, I just jump on Facebook live real quick and, and share my thoughts about it uh, and ask questions. And yeah. I always like to ask the questions and see what other people think. I like to poke a few people as well and kind of get people to uh, get their mind thinking and, and go through. And sometimes it gets into a heated conversation, uh, which is cool because I think that's, part more of what this world needs is much more conversation, mm -hmm. uh, less emotion, much more conversation, nothing wrong with emotions, but when emotions are involved in conversations, there's very little understanding going on. I like that. So understanding rather than emotion. That's, that's a good one. That's a hard one in today's social very media hard. world, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause everybody's got their opinion. Everybody believes that their truth is the truth. Um, and nobody likes to be uh, proven wrong. Mm -hmm. And even when they are proven wrong, they're going to push back. Uh, and even when they know in their heart and logically, okay, what I've been told doesn't make sense. What I thought I knew doesn't make sense based on this information. And my conversation I'm having with this individual who is, you know, let's use prejudice, for instance. Um, you know, I had a conversation with uh, uh, Christian Picciolini, who grew up in Chicago and was a white supremacist for many, many years, and now has a program called Life After Hate. And he's helped about 100 people get out of the movement. And he, what he does to help people uh, to share his story and to share his, get his message across is he will take somebody who's homophobic or um, you know, doesn't like Jews or you know, a, a black guy who doesn't like white guys or vice versa. He'll take them out to dinner with that other person, that other family. Mm -hmm. And they will have, they will sit down and have dinner together as part of their kind of, and he doesn't force it. He lets them realize for themselves, like he did. That's in his, you can go listen to the episode, but um, he, um, I love how he does that because he gets you in front of the people and lets you realize your own lies uh, that you've been told that your, that your truth isn't the truth. Life after hate. That's good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I, I've been thinking about that lately as a, as a 
middle-aged, middle-class white guy in America. Mm-hmm. I, I, I recognize the privilege that I've had over the years, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand what that means and, and, and not take it personally, right? Not say, well, I'm not privileged. I didn't grow up rich. Like, it's not what this means. And, mm-hmm. and I've been thinking about how to have those conversations just myself. And I'm, yeah. I'm not a white supremacist kind of guy, but I thought, man, mm-hmm. how, how can I surround myself with people that have that conversation? So that's, I'm going to have to check that one out. I like want to hear Christian's story. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and that, that brings up another part of the conversation I just had with a friend of mine, uh, one of the guys in my group and I'm in the abundance community because one of my last guests mentioned that he went to a gay rally apprehensively not being gay and he had some concerns and some fears. And one of my uh, guys that's in my men of abundance community, he chimed in. This is an army veteran, a guy I've known for years. And he chimed in and said, I found that very interesting. And I asked him to elaborate. And he said, well, what I found interesting about it was that uh, he was fearful of going to a gay rally. Like why are, why would you be afraid of us gay guys? You know, of, of, of us gay men. And number one, that's when I found out that this guy was gay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, I never, I've known this guy for years and never knew he was gay, which, you know, you don't go around saying, Hey, I'm gay, you know, right. any more than you say, Hey, I like, you know, bananas on my peanut butter type of thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, no big deal. But I thought about that and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not a biker. So I would feel kind of uncomfortable going and hanging around with at a biker rally per se, um, because I don't know, I don't know the conversation. I don't know anything about that type of thing, you know, and, um, and I kind of take it into that context and I'm working, that's something, another video that I'm kind of working on in uh, another episode of the show to have that conversation, I kind of going off track here a little bit, but it was, I thought it was relevant to what you're saying about, yeah. you know, obviously a white guy. I grew up in a trailer. We were so poor. I grew up, and this sounds like it's made up, but I grew up in a trailer behind another man's house because we couldn't even afford the trailer park. Mm. I mean, that's literally, and there were times when we didn't have any utilities hooked up, no gas, water, electricity, and I would have to go stay the week at a friend's house just so that I could get uh, some, get a shower uh, and stuff like this, my mom would say, Hey, go find somebody that you can stay the week with or something like that. You know? So it's, it's, it's either hot or it's cold in Phoenix, Arizona, cause it does get cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I want you guys to be comfortable and get closer to school. Cause my mom would leave the house at four o'clock in the morning to take the bus to work and wouldn't be home till seven in the evening. So me and my brother would fend for ourselves, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, it was kind of, you know, so my, I say that only because everybody thinks, well, you know, if you're, if you grew up in the ghetto, you know, you have it tough and it is tough. I'm not, there are gangbangers where I was at, but um, I'm not going to compare myself with somebody from Phoenix, Arizona to Chicago or LA or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just understand that we all have our, our past and our background and you never really know what that is. We all have our stories, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> and I think, and I think understanding those stories and, and, having a desire to understand those stories bridges that gap of humanity between, you know, I, I grew up in a very, a very uh, Midwestern, you know, middle-class town, um, basically one race uh, and you're looking at it um, from mm-hmm. those on video. <laughs> um, yeah. So not a whole lot of diversity and, and it was a great upgrade. I had a great childhood, but man, if I can hear other stories and connect with people, mm-hmm. I'll never understand exactly what someone goes through in the downtown Chicago, whether they're white or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so hearing their stories and being willing to is so important. Well, and that's the thing, you know, um, again, where I grew up at, if you ever watched the movie uh, Spare Parts with George Lopez, 
that high school is the high school I graduated from. It was maybe 10% Caucasian, hmm. uh, predominantly Hispanic. And I could not go tonight and walk through that neighborhood unless there was somebody that's from the neighborhood and with me. Um, otherwise there'd be some issues. Hmm. Um, but um, the other thing is, as you said it, being willing to listen to somebody else's story. And sometimes stories are told from one, maybe two perspectives. A perfect example is our history books. When I was growing up, the way the history books were written, they were written by one group of people and it portrayed an image of several other groups of people. For instance, Native Americans were savages and um, you know, killing white men and raping their women and all this stuff. Well, no, the reality was they were protecting their land they were trying to protect their well-being and their way of life and not be converted into Christianity. And, and, and then, you know, you got the whole story about the slaves and, and how they were portrayed in the history books that I was taught in school. Mm -hmm. So the stories were being told from one perspective. And now some of those history books, rightfully so in my mind, are being rewritten and closer to the truth is being shared uh, if you're going to study history study history and, and get multiple stories instead of just the one side. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you ever, find, if you ever want to get into one of those biker rallies, let me know. I'll, I'll get you in. We'll, we'll <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I look at you as someone who has, who has made it maybe not to re, to retire from life in general and everything else and be like, you know, uh, sitting in a, on a throne somewhere, but, but somebody who is, who's living a life of abundance, who is living a life of, of deliberate choices. And so you're someone in my mind who has made it. Do you consider yourself at that point in life? You know, I actually do. When you put it into, into that perspective, I will never be that guy sitting on a throne. I'll never be that guy that's, mm -hmm. that's completely retired. I have my own views about retirement in general. Um, and uh, nobody ever retires. I mean, people, I say that because peers of mine that, and even my uncle who retired after 30 years in the military, when they sit around and do nothing, you die. If you're not contributing, if you're not growing, you're dying. Uh, so I will always work in one, one fashion or another, even if volunteering my time. Mm -hmm. um, but I've made it in my mind. I've completely 100% made it in my mind. Uh, that's part of living a life of abundance is it's not about a dollar figure. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know, I, I talk to people who are multi-millionaires and I talk to people who are not. And they, when it all comes down to it, it's the mindset. Even the guys that are multi-millionaires, they, they realized at one point in their life, like Timothy Sykes, who was very young multi-millionaire and then started traveling the world and realized how much he has and others don't, started the Timothy Sykes Foundation, wrote a million dollar check to Pencils of Promise, and oh, by the way, went and helped build the schools in all these developing countries that pencils of promise if you don't know build schools around developing countries and um once you once you realize in your mind that you if you're listening to this right now you are living a life of abundance because whether you believe it or not you just got to get to where you believe it because you have access to resources that millions of people don't and i'm telling you i've been to 23 countries on five continents i've been to true serious poverty. I saw a kid in Bolivia on the side of the street. Um, she had uh, like a, a sore on her face and you could see it hadn't been tended to at all. And being a medic, I just couldn't let that go. So I 
you know, went to this drugstore that was down the street. They don't have a whole lot. I got some stuff and I, you know, I helped her out with it. And while I was there, I bought some peanut brittle and stuff. And I gave that to her. And even before I did that, she was a happy little girl. She was sitting there playing with her little, you know, made homemade dolls and stuff like that. And um, didn't even realize that the rest of the world lives the way that they do. Nor do I really think she cared. But she obviously wasn't being tended to. But she was a happy little girl. And when I gave her, took care of her, gave her the stuff, it just made, it really made her day um, even better, I would hope. But again, I say that because I, I, in, um, in the, in the, uh, out in the interior of Panama or even Bolivia, where we were drilling water wells, um, the people have, they lived in grass, in, in dirt huts out in Bolivia. And these people would give you the shirt off their back. They invite you in the house, they feed you, um, you know, and, and they're just amazing people. So, and they don't have the luxuries that we have. I don't even know if they know about the luxuries that we have, hmm. but they're truly living amazing lives. I'll tell you that. Abundance, even the face, even in the face of what we would consider poverty, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Um, so at what point did you, do you remember kind of thinking to yourself, I think I've made it? That you were, you had that abundant attitude. You had that I've made an attitude. There's, is there anything in particular that that made you think that? Yeah. So I, it was about four years ago. I was sitting out on the beach where I lived. Uh, before I lived up here in Manoa, I lived out on the beach out on the west side of Oahu. And I'm sitting there with my cup of coffee. My son's playing in the water. My wife's back in the house uh, with my other boy. And I, well, one of my other boys, the other one's groaning out. And I'm listening to a podcast. And... Well, even I'm listening to the podcast, um, I'm listening to this guy's story, and then it rings into my head this conversation that my wife would always have with me over the years. What the hell are you chasing? <laughs> <laughs> I was always after that six and seven figure income. And I would go to, I'd be at work, come home, put on a suit, go sell Amway. Come home, go sell USANA Health Sciences. Come home, go try to start some other business, uh, uh, satellite business. Go start some other business, start some other thing. Always trying to get into where I'm, you know, having this life of freedom and, and all this stuff. And then I look around and it all came, it, it was like, a, it just all came in. And I was like, you know what? I have a six figure, I made it six figure income at that point. And nothing had changed in my mind. I was still chasing it. But oh, by the way, I'm not out in the water playing with my kid. I was sitting on the gazebo listening to a podcast to learn how to make more money and to learn how to be successful and to learn how to make it. And I'm using air quotes for those of you who aren't on video. <laughs> and then my son's out there and he's like, dad, dad, come and play, come and play. And I'm like, no, let me, you know, do this. Let me, I'm listening. I just, I, stud, I shut it off. I just put it down, put it on the table went out and played with the kid, went back to the house. Um, I can get emotional about this. It was, it was a very uh, real event. And once, you know, and then after that, it was like, I got introduced to this guy who, um, Snow is his last name. I'm drawing a blank on names today. He lives over on Maui. He actually left and he came back. Uh, but he teaches people. He, I, went, I, was in, I was invited to this conference, tiny little conference where I actually met one of the original cast members of uh, Hawaii Five O. The guy used to say, book him, Dano. Mm. <laughs> I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he, mm. um, he was there. And basically, it was all about how to write, the importance of writing a book and telling your story. Ironically enough, right? So I paid for this guy's course. And I started to write this book. 
And I thought, well, what, what am I going to title this book? What am I going to do? So he consulted with me. We sat down. He said, what's going on in your life? Blah, blah, blah. What would you like? What message would you like to share? I was like, I had just recently had this revelation. That's why. And then I bought the domain name, Living Your Life of Abundance. And um, that's, that was kind of where, a long story to uh, where that all came from. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of good stuff in there to, to inspire those storytellers who are out there. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, if, so if, you had, if you had it in you, you're obviously a storyteller and, and, you, and you talk story uh, on the island, as you said earlier. I, I love that whole idea of just talking story. But if you only could tell one last story, what would that be for you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it would just be something about living your life. Just, just live your life and, and the multiple examples uh, that I could share both from the podcast and personal conversations that I've had in my own personal experience. Just live your life. Live today. Don't, it's always, I'm going to wait till the kids are out of school to take that, you know, vacation. I'm going to wait till we have this much in the bank. I'm going to wait till the, wait till the, tomorrow, you know, someday is not a day on the calendar. Put the date that you want to do stuff on the calendar. It's, don't ask me how it works. It just, it works itself out, man. Um, you just got to be intentional about it, but uh, just live your life and live it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't, it's not guaranteed. Indeed. Well, thanks for your time today. Well, I do appreciate it, brother. That was great. Um, where can people, where's the best place for people to connect with you anywhere? Well, number one, I have two websites, actually. Um, I have menofabundance.com. Uh, and for the guys out there who want to get into the Men of Abundance community, you can go to just click on the members only tab at the top of the page and you'll be able to get access. To, it's a Facebook group. So if you're not on Facebook, I got it. I respect that. But this is a, a men's only Facebook group. And the other one is where I'm helping business owners tell their story, uh, increase their profits, uh, not just from getting new leads, and new clients, but actually talking to their current clients and increasing profits. And you can find that at apmasterycoach.com. Uh, and there's videos galore there that you can uh, take a look at. Awesome. And your, uh, your social media and all that stuff is on there too? Like I'm Men of yeah. Abundance? Cool. Yeah. Social media is all at the upper left-hand corner of yeah. uh, Men of Abundance. It's all up there. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for your time today, man. I appreciate you taking time out of the, uh, the beautiful Hawaiian day to, to talk to me in Michigan, man. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Absolutely. Aloha, brother. So thank you so much to our guest, Wally Carmichael. Be sure to visit him online. You can find all of those links mentioned in the show notes at thestorytellersnetwork.com. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere that you think storytellers would hear it and benefit from it. I appreciate that. And also, if you enjoyed it, uh, leave us a review if you would, right? In fact, here's what I wanted to share. Uh, I enjoy reading these uh, to you listeners. Aaron Walker, author of View from the Top and the guy that we mentioned earlier in the episode, actually, uh, says, I was introduced to Dan at Podfe Podcast Movement in 2017, and he told me about this podcast, and I was hooked from the beginning. What a great way to learn. Thank you, Dan, for the awesome show. Well, thank you, Aaron. And I do hope that it is a great way to learn. So, and, and hopefully an inspiration too. Pretty cool too that one of my form, one of my guests from early on is also a listener. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. So there you go. Hey, listen, uh, once again, appreciate you listening to the Storytellers Network. Find us online at storytellersnetwork.com. Uh, if you have suggestions for guests, you can email me. I'll take them. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, I got some great guests coming up here. We're getting pretty close to the end of season two. Season three coming up is going to be video creators. And I have a great list, amazing guests for you. I cannot wait to share their stories as well. So there you go. Hey, until next time, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers and aloha. Thank you.